0: Psalm 27 of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. They war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in, his house, in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his secret tent and set me high upon the rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his secret tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy I will sing and make music to the lord hear my voice when i call lord be merciful to me and answer me my heart says of you seek his face your face lord i will seek. do not hide your face from me do not turn your servant away in anger you have been my helper so do not reject me or forsake me god my savior though my father and my mother forsake me the lord will receive me teach me your way lord Lead me in a straight straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will seek the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord.
1: welcome to Vaughan Roberts. Uh, Let's pray for you, Vaughan. Uh, Lord God, we thank you so much for Vaughan, and we pray your blessing on him now, and that you'd use him to be a blessing to each one of us. Lord, fill him with your spirit, we pray. And we pray that as he speaks, that you would be at work in each one of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jago. It's lovely to be here. I've known this church from afar for quite a while, so I look around and I see various familiar faces. Sadly, I don't see my niece and her husband who come to um, HTC and decided that this was the perfect weekend to go for a wedding somewhere else. (laughs) So they're not here. Thank you for having me. Um, Years ago, I was at school with a friend and we were very close. But you know what it is with school, we just lost touch and uh, somehow he heard that I'd become a vicar. Um, When I was at school I was always going to be a lawyer and he heard I'd become a vicar, he heard I was in Oxford and by this stage he was making a lot of money as an investor in the mining industry. And he ran an annual dinner in Oxford for very wealthy people to do a bit of networking all to do with uh, investing in mining. And he said, I have just heard you're a vicar in Oxford and I run this uh, annual lunch. Would you come as my guest? So I was delighted. I had not seen him for 35 years. He he said, welcome, everyone. Lovely to see you. Some of us have known each other in the trade for 20 years, but there's someone here who I've known for 40 years, and he's a vicar. And they all looked (laughs) rather surprised that Justin should have a friend who was a vicar. And he said, I'm I'm now going to ask him to say grace, which had never happened at one of those uh, dinners. So I said a quick grace. Sat down at my table, eight people on the table, and I smiled and chatted to the person next door. And it was quite clear that they didn't want to talk to me. They were there to do deals and to make money. So after a very quick uh, hello, they turned to their left. And then I turned to the guy on the right and said hello, and he smiled, and then turned to his right. So I'm looking a little awkward. And then across the table, there was a man I'd not met before. He was from New York. And I'm told that he was easily the wealthiest man in the room, and the oldest, actually. And as they were chatting away doing their deals, suddenly this guy went like this. <laughs> guys, guys, we're talking about things that don't matter. Vaughan, tell us about God. <laughs> That's what we call on the trade, an opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) So often we we talk about things that don't really matter. Fun things, nice things, good things, but don't really matter. And uh, this weekend, there's a chance to get off the, the business of life. To focus on things that really, really matter. Refreshing the heart hard to think of anything that matters more than that. So let me ask you right at the beginning, how is your heart? I, uh, when I first got an iPhone, I got all excited and I ended up having about 500 apps. You know how, how it goes, and then you get rid of most of them. And one of the apps was a cardiograph. And it's amazing, you just put your finger on the camera function, press a button, and a little bit later, it um, tells you what your heart rate is. And mine said, 48. I didn't know if that was good or bad, so I looked uh, on uh, Wikipedia or whatever it was, and it, it said to me these precise words. Average heart rate is somewhere between about 70 and 90. <laughs> but then it said, highly conditioned... Sorry, let me just say that's a bit slower. Highly conditioned athletes... <laughs> Sometimes have a heart rate even below 60. Yeah. 48. <laughs> I was once speaking, uh, saying this exact thing, and there on the background I saw a, a friend who used to be in our congregation who was Olympic oarsman. And I said, Rich, what's your heart beat? And he said, 33. <laughs> Which I think is the medical definition of death. <laughs> so how's your heart beat? And I'm not talking here so much actually about your physical heartbeat because in the Bible, the heart is the the control center of the human personality. We talk about the heart, we talk about the the emotions and the feelings. Actually, in biblical thought, the feelings, that's the bowels. You can imagine the Valentine's cards of uh, the Hebrew world. Darling, your bowels... Uh, you move my bowels. <laughs> the heart in biblical thought is the, the parliament of your life. It's what drives you. It's, it's where you make the decisions that control the direction you travel through life. It's not just the way you think, although that's included. It's, it's what you give ultimate focus to. So, how's your heart? We're going to look at Psalm 27 because here we have the heartbeat of a godly man. And as we look at the heartbeat of this godly man, the question will be Does my heart beat like this? Three marks of a spiritually healthy heart security, satisfaction, and struggle. First, security. We're looking at the first three verses. It begins, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now often you know in the Psalms, you'll get uh, at the top, not just the words of David as we got here, but something describing the circumstances in which he wrote. Here we're just told of David. So we don't know the exact circumstances. But as you read through the the psalm, it's very clear he's under significant pressure. It could well be when he's the anointed king. Do you remember those early times in his life? God has chosen him as the king, but Saul is still on the throne, and Saul is jealous of him, so he's on the run. Quite likely that's the context. And yet he begins this psalm with a repeated note of confident affirmation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He's not just reminding himself of general truths. God's great God is in control. He applies them to himself. God is my light, my salvation, my stronghold. And all who trust in Christ can say exactly the same. Which means we needn't quiver. When confronted with the powers of evil, or the hidden dangers of darkness, Christ is our light. We needn't quake at the prospect of death, or of judgment, or the horrors of hell. Christ is our salvation. We needn't fear the unknown, or any circumstance that, in our imaginations, threatens to overwhelm us. Christ is. Far stronger than any rival power. He is in us and for us and we are in him. He is our stronghold. We couldn't be more secure. So let me ask you, what's your biggest fear? You know, that that moment in the middle of the night and somehow feelings are so much stronger when you wake in the middle of the night. What are you most afraid of? And in a group this size, there'll be a whole variety of different things that might come into your mind. And I can pretty much guarantee that behind each of those fears lurks an idol. Tim Keller's books mentioned been mentioned counterfeit idols. The human heart is designed to worship. God created our hearts so that we're not self sufficient. The heart is like a heat seeking missile looking for something to latch onto and we're designed to worship God, but if we don't worship Him, we will worship something else, something that's promising security. Behind that fear, maybe there's an idol lurking, saying, oh well, I'll deal with that fear. For some of you, it's fear of failure. I live and work in Oxford. We're right in the heart of the city. Many university students come to our church And fascinating, lots of them have never failed at anything in their lives. And you'd think that would give them confidence as they face the future. Actually, those who've never failed in their lives, I've found, are more terrified of failure than those who are very used to failing. It's unthinkable that they should do anything but the best. If our identity and self-worth is bound up by our our achievements and our success, the result is we'll be driven individuals. And we're always prone to overwork and to overstress, which ironically makes it less likely that we'll achieve the goals we long to because we'll be crippled by that anxiety sooner or later. Idols promise great security, but they end us leaving us insecure. For others, it's the fear of loneliness. You're so eager to please, that you're never sure you've done enough. So after every conversation, just going through that conversation, thinking, oh no, what? oh no, I can't believe I said that. What, did they, what on earth did they think of me? So an event like this is quite a stressful occasion. Because you want people to like you. It's easy to play through and wonder, do they really like me? And they seem to be so friendly. But is that just a front? What do they really think of me? And if that fear drives me, if the idol I'm looking to is friendship and finding meaning through you liking me, I'll be over-demanding, emotionally manipulating in my relationships because you, you must like me. I need you to like me. The irony is that'll... Mean that I end up driving you away. I'm less likely to get the thing that I most want, which is your affection. For others, it's the fear of being unattractive. And when I began in ministry, that was predominantly a female fear. I think now it's pretty much it. Because both women and men are so used to looking at images of beautiful people. This is what you should look like. And all of us feel. We're not as we should be. If we let the fear of failure and loneliness and ugliness drive us to the idols of success, popularity, and beauty to find security, our fears will simply increase. Idols promise much, they never deliver. Wise people look for ultimate security in God. In verses 2 and 3, we find David imagining the worst circumstance he could face. He's surrounded by enemies. Verse 2 When the wicked advance against me to devour me, though an army besiege me, verse 3. Now, whatever fear you imagined, it's not like that, I reckon. David was literally surrounded by enemies out to kill him. He says, even then, my heart will not fear, verse 3, even then will I be covered. That's not because of his great strength of character. It's because of his God. He believed that God was powerful and loving, my life, my salvation, my stronghold. Well, let the truths that David clings to Fill your own hearts with confidence and calm your fears. Because if we know that Christ is our light, our stronghold, our salvation, we'll be able to face the future with a humble confidence. So I don't know what you were terrified of, but it's perfectly possible that your worst fears in life will be realized. The Bible never gives false comfort. It doesn't say if you trust in Jesus and really trust in him, you'll pass all your exams. If you trust in Jesus and really trust in him, everyone will like you. If you trust in Jesus and really trust in him, you'll never get really sick. The Bible never gives those kind of promises. So, dare I say, it, you might fail that exam. You might never meet that special person. You might have an accident. Disfigures you. your loved ones might leave you or die. You might lose your job, your health, your mind, but you will never lose your God. You never leave you, nor forsake you. That truth fill our hearts with security. Does your heart beat like that security? Next. Satisfaction. Verses 4 to 6. One thing I ask from the Lord, verse 4. One thing. Wouldn't it be marvellous just to be told, look, you can have anything you like, what do you want? One thing. I'm very shallow. So instinctively, I love sport. Instinctively, I've often dreamt of what I'd really love. I was at Lord's on. when was it? Thursday. That was a good day for English cricket. Bad, the other two days. What I've always wanted is to score a century for England at Lord's against the Australians. Uh, but I'd sort of bubble that one thing into a sporting year. So a century at Lord's against the Australians. I'd like to win Wimbledon in the same year. I'd like to win the Open Golf at St Andrews. And I'd like to score a try for Wales against England and Twickenham, That'd be a good year, wouldn't it? It'd be a great year. What would you ask? One thing. Now, bear in mind where David was. He's on the run, very likely. His life is in danger. At the very least, you'd think he might say, one thing I ask, Lord, would you just take this trouble away from me? A bit perfectly understandable prayer, but look what he actually says, verse four. One thing I ask from the Lord, This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. The great longing of his heart is to enjoy deep, conscious communion with God, that he might meditate on his glorious qualities, delight in him, and worship him. Have you come to realize that no one and nothing is more beautiful than God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you've begun to recognize that, that is a sure sign of the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. So those who are unconverted may find God awesome, frightening, but not delightful, beautiful. Those who are unconverted may get excited about what God could give them Forgiveness, place in heaven, then never get excited about God Himself. It's by the Spirit that we marvel at God's perfect qualities. These extraordinary combinations you find in God. His holiness, absolute moral perfection, and yet His mercy. He loves sinners like you and me. His greatness. He made the stars also. And yet his his condescension, even the hairs of your head are numbered. He cares about little me and little you. His justice, he judges the world with truth and righteousness. And yet his amazing love, sending his son to take that justice for us, that we can be forgiven. It's at the cross that God's qualities are revealed most profoundly. We're going to spend eternity praising God for the beauty of his character. Think of some of the songs of hell and heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. David says, effectively, I don't want to wait to heaven to be delighting in you. I want to do this now. I want to marvel at your perfection. And he's not just wanting a deeper philosophical grasp of the attributes of God or a fuller knowledge of the contents of scripture, so he can tick another book off. He wants to delight in his heart, the beauty of God. And can I say, that is the key to the Christian life. It's the key to holiness. One writer I found very helpful is Tim Chester, who wrote a book called You Can Change. And maybe there's some here thinking, I'm not sure I even can change. Those, those patterns that keep dragging me back. I don't think I can change. And Tim, beautifully speaking from the scripture, says you can change. He says the root of all our behavior and emotions is the heart. What it trusts and what it treasures. In other words, where it looks to for security and satisfaction. See, why do I keep on sinning? Because at that moment some idol has captured my heart. And i become persuaded that pleasing that idol, whether it's pleasure or popularity or success, whatever it might be, will give me greater satisfaction than pleasing God. So I do the wrong thing. And if we're to stop that pattern of ongoing sin, God, God doesn't come to us with a stick marked law. Beat out that sin because The problem is not about discipline so much, it's about desire. Why don't I do it? Why don't I please God? Why do I do that other thing? Because my heart is captured by some lie, some idol. What the Holy Spirit does is point us to the beauty of God and the wonder of the Gospel. So God willing, more and more, our hearts are captured with love for Him. And then we'll begin to do the right thing. There was a teenager, and the parents were distraught because the teenager spent all his time on computer games. They couldn't stop it. And they'd warn him. They'd say, you're not allowed to go out on the weekends. You can't do anything. No warning worked. You forever find a way of getting back to those wretched games. Then suddenly, after a little period of time, they noticed he wasn't interested in the games anymore. What do you think had happened? he met a girl. <laughs> and suddenly, compared to the girl, these games were boring, dull. He wanted to spend time with her. So it is. Our hearts are captured by some idol. We keep on doing the wrong thing. It's only when we're captured by Jesus, the beauty of God, that we'll begin to do the right thing. One of the keys to the Christian life is recognizing we should be aiming... As David was, at enjoyment of God. That's why we sing. And we could just speak those truths, couldn't we? But we're singing because, God willing, the, the music will help us to embrace and engage with those truths at a deeper way. It's not emotionalism. Emotionalism is if you don't even notice the words you're singing, it's just the music that does it to you. That's emotionalism. But true worship is when you're recognizing those truths and the music's helping you to receive the light in them and helping us because it's something we do together. I'm a preacher. This is the task I find hardest because my task is not simply to explain truth to you. Because I understand lots of truths, but that doesn't change my life. It's when those truths hit the heart. So I'm seeking... Not just to explain, but to exhort to encourage that you might delight in these truths. I can't do that. But I'm praying the Holy Spirit will grip us with the wonder of these truths, that we delight in God. David says, this is what I want. Just to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Again, the question, does my heart beat like this? Security. Satisfaction. Then briefly at the end, a surprising shift. Struggle. That's the second half of the psalm. How quickly the pendulum swings in the Christian life. You can be on cloud nine one moment at a weekend like this, feeling love for God, love for everyone, thinking to yourself, I will never sin again. (laughs) And then Monday morning comes. And you'll know if you've been to these kind of weekends before, there's a backlash spiritually straight away as you go back into normal life. And here we find David, the exultant praise of verse 6 replaced by urgent prayer in verse 7. He's in dire straits. Hear my voice when I call, Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. He's feeling distant from God, worried that God will turn a deaf ear to his prayers. Verse 9, he feels guilty. Don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. Verse 12, he feels pressurized, surrounded by enemies. He pleads, don't hand me over to the desire of my foes. For the Christian life is an ongoing battle. You can have a sense of security and satisfaction one moment but that doesn't move you into some new plane so you never struggle. At times we will face very challenging circumstances indeed and I've no doubt that for some of you that's exactly what you're experiencing right now and you look happy enough and you chat away but there's something in your heart maybe because of your own sin you sunk very low you're thinking to yourself "If, if they knew what I've been thinking and doing this last week or last month, they wouldn't want to talk to me. Or maybe another sin that has deepened, deeply affected you difficulties at work or in your family or in your health. Life's a struggle. And of course, whenever life's a struggle, Satan comes and just speaks to us in our hearts and offers a shortcut out of the crisis. Go on, just go along with everyone else. You're feeling a bit weird, a bit different, just do what they do. Or he'll dangle an escape route that promises a a way of anesthetizing the pain and the distress that we feel. We just turn off our consciences. It could be something innocent of itself, but it's distracting us from God to prayer. Just go shopping. Just look at Netflix. Or perhaps the anesthetic he's dangling is something potentially more damaging. Alcohol. Pornography. Drugs. That can easily lead to addictive patterns. David knew temptation to turn from God. Do notice the repeated resolve. Verse 8. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. He's speaking to himself. You see it again in verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart, wait for the Lord. My prayer is that, yes, we'll look to the Lord for security. We'll look to the Lord for satisfaction and we'll delight in Him. But when the delight seems to have gone and life is very, very hard indeed, we'll cling on. We won't think, oh somehow, this isn't me, Feeling spiritual. Actually, the spiritual David clings on even when he doesn't feel on cloud nine. I'm going to keep clinging. Wait for the Lord. Does my heart beat like this? Well, this was David. And as we read this psalm, surely the Christian's bound to think of great David's greatest son, whose heart beat perfectly spiritually. Security in his heavenly father. So even when he's on trial before Pontius Pilate, Pilate said, come answer me. Don't you realize I've got power to free you? Jesus said, you would have no power over me if it were not given you from above. You can't touch me. Absolute security. It's satisfaction. His disciples urged him to eat. He said, I've got food to eat that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. His delight was in knowing God, pleasing God, satisfaction. And yes, struggle. He was tempted and tested just as we are. But as he faced the cross, he said, not my will but yours. Be done. He is the one who offers forgiveness for hard hearts. So often we run after idols for security and satisfaction rather than to God. And he offers inspiration with cold hearts. What a perfect model he is. Let me close with a prayer. Loving Father, you know our hearts. And we pray by your Holy Spirit, warm them with the beauty of Jesus and of the Gospel. We pray in his name.